Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Featuring Aaron Castro in Arizona, Liam Poach in Boston, and Craig Gradelli in New York City. For those of you new to the podcast, each week the guys share news, views, and abuse from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union, along with information on the USA national team. With all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live! And uh, Rookie Eagle is on site. Uh, For those of you who will watch the Facebook Live, this is not for you... But uh, for those that will listen to the podcast, um, I'm wearing a USA Rugby shirt. Craig is draped in old glory, and um, Rookie is also here. Um, Way to go, USA. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. women uh, took silver in 2018 at the Glendale Sevens, and they reprised that performance with a pretty dominating tournament overall uh, to kick off the 2019 HSBC 7 Series uh, road to uh, Tokyo. Uh, They just defeated uh, Australia, uh, the reigning women's sevens Olympic champions, uh, 26 to 7. Um, And it it was was delicious. Great, great contest. One second half, all USA. Uh, Lev Kelter and Nicole Heverland, I thought, just poured up. Yeah, like uh, you had uh, been Christy Kirsch from last year. I think she played in three tournaments from basically being this this Division One soccer player who uh, needed something, was finding something to do. Uh, played for Beantown, then worked with Northeast Academy, and then got pulled in pretty much not even a year of playing any rugby, like sevens or 15s, didn't matter. Got pulled into the squad, uh, got two, I think it was three tournament caps, and just shredded it uh, in twenty the 2018-2019 season. And she had a great tournament. Uh, I, I'm liking our lineup, you know, liking, yeah. you know, powerful athletes, uh, the likes of Abby Gustitis, Chetta Emba, uh, Alona Mar. You know, it's interesting when you you watch the women play, there does seem to be a lot more powerful, like, you know, of an aspect to to their gameplay, whereas a lot of teams are trying to be kind of overly technical. I feel like the USA women just kind of, you know, run through people and just kind of... I'm loving the power play that we have built over time. We've got the skills, don't get me wrong, but the athletes we have into our squad, I just, I, I talked to, I talked to some of the girls, uh, Last year during the Super Series, as uh, some of the women's sevens players uh, had just come off, uh, a few of them, I, I believe it was uh, Nicole and uh, Ilona, went on like this crazy Euro trip uh, after Biarritz. And it was really fun to follow on um, on Instagram. And, uh, you know, I talked to them at one of the games and it was like, you know, how was everything? Because that was their first gold ever uh, on this series. And I was t- like, what if we just put out the biggest lineup we ever could, like based on who's in the squad? Because it was, if you look at all the other squads, no one has the the size of athletes that we have and physical, and the they're just so physical, like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, it, and I think 
you know, it, it's 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 an interesting thought because I feel like people often say about the USA that if our highest caliber athletes were in leagues like the NFL and the NBA played rugby, then you know, and trained in rugby regularly, like you know, over a period of years, then we could be dominant. But in let's be honest, there's women in this country who would probably be able to play in the NFL. Unfortunately, they haven't been exactly been given the chance. And rugby is a great avenue, you know, for kicking, people who are able to play perhaps. sports athletically and physically like that. Kicking, perhaps, but uh, I think rugby specifically. With if you look at, especially if you look at the sevens team, and you look at how many former Division One athletes, and I, I call these like choice or tier one level athletes in the American scale. Uh, like I said, Kirsty Kirsch played division one soccer. Uh, Ilona Marr and Nicole Heverlin both came out of Naira. And then you have a few uh, of underclassmen that are at Dartmouth, but have taken a leave of absence. Uh, I think um, there was a, a girl, um, I forget her name, but she was like in the Olympic sevens pool, but did not make the final squad. She was capped. I think she was 16 or she was 16. Lily Dibbins, I think it was, but she has now, she has now gone back to the squad to try and make it onto this Olympic squad. And then, you know, like I said, Emily Henrik. So you have a bunch of infusion of Naira athletes. So you have, um, Elon Amar, uh, and so you have like two, of the Eagles women are currently in a division one NCAA rugby program, which is great for, for women's rugby in this country. But you look at the infusion of what it's doing to the 15s team and what it's doing to the sevens team. It's just, it's just huge, but let, let's go back even further. Um, Nicole Heverland was, uh, she played, started playing rugby, I think in her teens, like before high school. Uh, she learned from like her dad's a, a rugby coach, but she was also a Division One basketball player at West Point uh, before she moved on to their rugby side. Multi-sport so, athletes, man, that is yeah. honestly the pathway for success: is honing your skills in multiple then, sports um, when you're younger. I believe it was like Chad Emba and, and Naya Tapper, both track athletes, but uh, Emba had played. Chetta had played uh, rugby at Harvard. So it's not like she was new to the sport, but we have a really high caliber level of women's athletes on our sevens program that aren't not just rugby players, but just where they fit in the athletic scale in the U.S. Uh, is pretty high. So it's all about upskilling them on the rugby side. And we're starting to see this really long progression and build up since the last Olympics from Richie Walker and Chris Brown now that, uh, you know, it's it's, it's very like gold today too. So you know everyone everyone's thinking about the guys and what the pressure they're under. But this this women's team it studs everywhere. Yeah. So um, and, really and think to, about the, think about these last two victories. Like these aren't tier two, tier three nations. This is Ireland and Australia. This is you know. Well, these are countries yeah, that have the Ireland facilities. In se- Ireland in sevens isn't the same. I mean, we we crushed Ireland on day Don't one. Don't you disrespect the homeland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in seven sevens isn't their thing. Okay, but uh, I, no, the women's sevens team. Is, 
wouldn't yeah, have been for, for regardless they still have the facilities in those countries you know to be able to train and they still have like access to a lot more coaching and quality coaching than we hear like than we have here on the average in the united states so i'm just saying it definitely speaks you know significant uh like you know bounds about the usa women's preparation heading into this game and the you know and the, and the way they were able to eventually execute and get the gold of course but it, it wasn't like they played ireland yesterday think about if we look at who they had to go through today uh we beat um in the semi-final we beat new zealand and then in the final we beat australia like that is like there were i forgot about the new zealand match i wasn't able to there uh, were times that uh you know you you looked at the map well you looked at the bracket and you saw us play new zealand and you knew we were going to lose by 40 yeah uh that's that's no longer the case like they had their they basically had their best team out and we beat them and we took yeah. out Canada in the quarters, and you know, in the women's sevens, Canada and the USA are pretty equal. So great, yeah. yeah I think we, I think we didn't win our pool yesterday because we lost uh, to France, I believe, in the last pool match. So we came yeah. from the second spot through the the knockout rounds today in, in dominating fashion. Speaking of that that French match, Aaron and Aaron and Craig, was there any moment in that game where you thought this might happen? Of course, of course. Uh, you know, the AJ McGinty, you know, pulling within three, though, I was transitive property from U.S. women's U.S. women's sevens against France to to men 15s World Cup. The hell with the script. We're going to U.S. Yeah. Yeah. We're so. Yeah. Let's let's stick with that. I, I, I'm uh, sorry, but I, I was just dying to ask that. Con- question. Congratulations video, but... to the women's sevens. And we'll move on to um, the other thing that kind of is crushing our souls or it, maybe not because it's like Christmas, except it's like six weeks long, uh, the rugby world cup. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll go over the U S versus France. Although, although the scoreline did not end up flattering us, uh, the U S lost nine to 31. But if you watched the game, if you did watch the game and I, and if you haven't, I would tell you to go on to NBCSN or wherever you know, you can find it if you aren't a subscriber to NBC Gold, where you can watch on demand. Uh, you need to watch that game because it, it shows a lot about what the Eagles are capable of. Yeah, that was that was good stuff. And, and to answer your question, Liam, yeah, you know, when it was twelve nine, I was thinking of the uh, Japan Ireland game the day before i was like wow there there's a chance but the truth is in the first half we chose to kick sticks a few times on on close in penalties which i liked uh second half the the possibility of getting the lead i kind of would have liked to go for the corner there uh, instead of taking that that third penalty goal um a try there would have put us ahead i think that would have re-energized our flagging uh fatiguing side so but at the same I, time, I was, after that performance against england like uh you know in the mall and in the set piece were were you particularly confident that we could actually execute a successful mall you know from the corner not coming into the game but the, all throughout the first 65 minutes we were you know doing in this game i mean we had a mall before i would say the second time we chose to kick sticks uh, we I, like the third time we should have gone for the corner. I thought the second time we should have gone to the corner, and that was also a time that they're definitely um, right before that. I believe he should have called like the ref should have called like a penalty try because we did try to mull it in, and then there was a and then he called then he said then he got pushed out. You yeah. know, I was like that was 
There was a lot of uh, tier one benefits of the doubt, as we, as yeah, we said but, last week in this when game. I, I, when I look, if you look at my match article, uh, I, I, Craig and I both write for two different publications. Uh, I write for Earful of Dirt as a senior test match writer, and, and Craig writes for the Runner Sports as their uh, – are you the, the test match writer? Are you the Eagles correspondent? Are yeah, you, are you the best rugby person they got? <laughs> Because uh, I think I, I think you are. I think your title should be best rugby writer on TRS. Well, thank you. But I think my official <laughs> title is just uh, USA and MLR contributor. Okay. But yeah, I contributed a recap. Uh, well, not a recap really, but my but an article. Uh, you know, in the aftermath of the France match. Yeah. So I look at this one and the the two penalty kicks after the first one. The first one. Great kick sticks, but there were periods of where we were extremely dominant. We were within, you know, five meters and we just needed to execute and run our attack because instead of like using that and going until we could gain advantage, we'd have things like AJ Ajmaginti kicking through, you know, and just giving up the ball. Uh, And, you know, the one time we had advantage, thank God. So we got the ball back. Uh, and we did kick sticks, but at a certain juncture, you need to commit and you also, but while committing, you do need to convert. And I guess they didn't necessarily think that they could convert here, but if you looked at the way we were playing and we just, if we ran our attack well and guys held on to the ball, that was, I would say we had a high amount of turnovers in this game, but I was just frustrated with the amount of times that whether we had advantage or not, or someone else would put the ball down for a grubber and it would go into the hands of an awaiting Frenchman because no one was prepared to actually chase it down. And it was like, there would be like five meter grubbers. So I feel like Aj is counting on the, like on the endurance and the athleticism, you know, and, and the experience as well that you see typically uh, in like in the, in the, in the uh, English Premier League. Maybe, maybe he, if he was playing, you know, at sale, yeah, his, his guys would have done that. But I just, with the what we were doing, keep the ball in hand and just hammer. Because we were hammering and we were getting somewhere, but we would just give up the ball and, and don't... We were in a place against England that we didn't utilize the ball. We gave up the ball way too much. We had almost no possession. And in this one, we had a ton of possession, but we didn't utilize it well. On defense, uh, for for 68, 66 minutes exactly, we played very well. Like mm-hmm. We played really well. And this was after they had put on a fresh front row and were wearing down our front row. And, you know, and, like... And here's the thing. It's not like we were fighting tooth and nail for every single opportunity in that game. France was making their fair share of mistakes uh, as well and giving the ball to us at, you know, at a, at a couple of opportune moments. But where I felt the most frustrated though, was there's a few instances in in which I felt like we got caught off guard in the counter ruck. And that's, you know, just another, like, kind of like you said, a a dumb turnover that, you know, just completely zaps momentum. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, against England, we just lost every aspect of of rugby. I mean, they were better at everything against France. I thought we were pretty even. It was just those small advantages that France had, um, like the the much better the tactical kicking, 
I think they were much better in transition when they turned us over. They were so fast into attack. I mean, our defense had to come scrambling over, and you know they gained 20 meters before we were back in defensive shape. And to get back into shape required such an effort that you know by 65 minutes everyone was gassed. And I think it was really those two things more than anything mm-hmm. else. They're a little shaky in the lineout still, um, and it, you know. Our, we worked harder. I think we had more better discipline. I think, frankly, with just ball in hand, we were a little bit better attackers on the ground. And that was keeping it even. But the fatigue of those disadvantages, um, I think over time, just you know, weighed us down. And we couldn't. Uh, that, we couldn't was, that was the biggest thing. I look at this very similar to how the Scotland game was. Two years ago, was it two years ago? A year, a year and a half ago. It was definitely a year ago. Year and change, year and change. Uh, June of eighteen, and it's really like if if you were playing an injured side that still had a bunch of veterans on it, but not like everyone is available. Um, that was sort of what we had against France. They had, at best, you could say their third choice props uh, on this thing. But I mean, David Ayunu. Um, knew those guys and it would have been great to see him play against these guys that he's definitely scrummed against. And, um, but at the end of the day, it was like, yeah, they had their third choice loose head and tight head, but then they had their first choice. Uh, they had their captain on the bench at hooker Girado. And then they had Poro at loose head on the bench and Slimani at tight head on the bench. So as soon as they put their starters on, they wore us down, and then I, I think our, I, I think especially uh, um, at Hooker and Loosehead uh, with Fawcett and Khalifi, we we didn't really have the same. Uh, to be honest, uh, it's just Slimani is just a really tough dude at at, at tight head, and there's a reason. I mean, I almost thought that uh, Fry was going to need to stay in there, but he was getting beat, and then. Uh, I want to say for for Khalifi uh, on attack, he could carry man. Holy joke! Oh, yeah. Like he was good, but uh, I, the best. Who are the who are your two best players in this game for the U.S. For the U.S. Gradley. Oh, um, Sorry, yeah. So he he kind of frustrated me, but at the same time, I liked Aj McGinty's tenacity to, uh, to begin the game. I thought he was kind of the tone setter when it came to trying when it came to trying to play with speed and rhythm. Um. You know, uh, Mikey Teo came into the game as a sub, uh, I think, around 60 minutes, was it? He started. Started, bro. Oh, he started. Watch the game. God, man. But, uh, yeah, no, no. Mikey Teo had a few impressive runs. He ought, he showed off the goose step, which I know you hate, Aaron. I know, uh, I know yeah, hate it's awful. Step. Please stop doing the club rugby hop in test rugby. Thank you. I love it. Um, Keep on doing it, Mikey. Never change. It works at the D2 club level. And when you're trying to just glide and cut and run through people because he's powerful enough to run through people, it takes away and allows a defender to adjust. Um, but here's the thing. I feel like he's such like he, he has such a powerful first step that even if he loses a little bit of momentum, he can still put his head down and bowl through the first tackle attempt. Well, it, it didn't help that much. But, um, I, yeah, I like when it comes to Mikey Teo, he is an attack first fullback, and I really like that about him. I think he has top end speed. And, you know, the more chances that he gets in this World Cup, and that's sort of the the downside of him getting injured pretty early on uh, in the MLR season is that we had one of our best attacking players 
uh, out for most of the year. And he really, and after, like, he was having a renaissance of a year. Uh, he had, after an injury uh, in 2018, he rebuilt his body and he was fit and he's still fit now. Like he used to be, he used to be a chunky little guy because, you know, at five foot six, he was a 220 pound defensive tackle in high school. So, you know, um, and, but for me, for me, it was Marcel Brocky and Tony Lamborn. Yeah. I was going to say Lamborn, and I actually think Lamborn and maybe Honko. I thought I had a quietly good game. I thought I, thought I had Honko, Honko got dragged down by the neck, but, and there was a no call on that. But so. Lamborn, Lamborn and Marcel Brocky, like, had two – both of them had the – the most complete games of any play, any players we have had so far in this World Cup um, in this. And you, it's funny, you know, a bunch of years ago, people were complaining about um, capping Tony Lamborn because, you know, he was a heritage player. Well, uh, you know, he's probably, well. he's, he's definitely the best. Thank you, Tony, for coming. <laughs> the best seven that we have. He's playing six, but he's definitely the best seven that we have in our entire pool. Of yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, he played incredible. You know, he did everything. Any, you know, he pretty much did anything you want from any of the loose forwards. Uh, you know, and he he worked so hard and he was so effective. Uh, I mean, he just every time he got near the ball, he made a play. Um, you know, that that gave the U.S. an edge. So just don't make him a captain. Don't make him a captain because then he'll get a yellow card. Because I think the two times he's captained the squad, he's got a yellow card. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, he had a great game. Marcel, oh man, like he was, he was at the breakdown. He was doing everything. You know, it was it was a great game from him. Uh, but you know, I guess when it gets down to it, when when you pair, when you look at where the Eagles are right now, when it comes to rugby IQ, when it comes to talent level, uh, when it comes to conditioning, we can beat a tier one team, but we have to play our best or pretty close to our best. We have to put and, points up in the first half. And they like their depth can't their 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 starter for their starting pack can't be on the bench. Yeah. Like straight up. Like that that was Scotland. Their their first 15, I wouldn't say their second 15. It was like a B plus, not a B when we played them. Um was was all was what who we played and that's basically who we played except they had a B plus on this. They had their starting pack Starting tight five on the bench. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. no. But, you know, I, I agree with that, but I also think, you know, we played well. Um, but it wasn't the best I've seen the Gary Gold Eagles play. Oh, no, I, I think that I, I, as I wrote about, like, we played well. Like, our de- what the difference between this game really and the game against England was our defense. Because on attack, even though we were better, we still had a ton of problems. Like, yeah. we were not, we were not running our attack that well. And then when we did run our attack, we gave a ball. And as usual, I feel, I feel like in, in times of melee, you know, and in times of, you know, especially in the transition, there wasn't a lot of depth in our back line. So there was a lot of lateral movement as opposed to, you know, significant forward movement. And that's always been a killer for the Eagles against top tier teams. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think against England, we just didn't, as long as we didn't even try to attack uh, against France, at least half the time we tried and when we did try, we had some decent success. So it definitely wasn't perfect or even, you know, the best 
attacking I've seen us do, but it, it was an upgrade over England, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, I also agree that defense was very strong outside of those transition periods. Um, so I, I, to, to head off, to, to get through our notes so we can get back to the world cup. I, I think we have a lot of stuff to talk about cause we've got some important games coming up, but, uh, so in MLR news, Jimmy Kadihi, I think that's how you say it. I don't know. Um, has been appointed the chief revenue officer for old glory DC. So nice to see another really big time, uh, front office hire with, with one of the teams. So I'm glad you took uh, the lead on being the one to try and pronounce his, his last name. Cause as, yeah, as anybody who's ever heard one yeah, of my, no uh, my personal podcasts, I'm awful with that. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, uh, he's got a really good resume. He was part of the ownership group, uh, originally to bring a pro 12, I guess now pro 14 side, uh, to the U S and, uh, you know, that obviously didn't work out. But uh, good to see him stay involved uh, with the evolution of that with the ownership group in D.C. behind Old Glory. Uh, and then re-signings, uh, I think these are, these are pretty easy for me. Uh, so the, there's nothing crazy about these. Tim Moppin, wing for NOLA. Cam Falcon, tight head prop slash hooker for NOLA. Devin Short, uh, loose, head, loose forward not loose head, but loose forward uh, for San Diego and Brad Tucker, a lock loose forward for Seattle. Uh, probably good to get all those like back for all the teams. Brad Tucker. Great, great 2019 campaign. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's, you better re-sign the player of the year, right? You better re-sign the player of the year. Uh, yeah. I was like, do you think next year, Aaron and Liam, we're going to stop announcing re-signing? Like, does every, do we have to have every player on the team re- officially re-sign every year? Or well, well, not with NOLA because they signed a bunch of guys to, like, three-year deals. All right. I'm, hoping, I'm looking forward to, yeah. like, when, you know, 80% of the roster isn't re-signed in the, in the preseason again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, that would be nice. You know, maybe, maybe eventually, especially with the addition of new teams, we'll – maybe focus on some of the more significant additions. I, uh, let's say not to say that, you know, every USA rugby player is worth covering, but there's definitely some names that pop out a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and then on to signings, uh, the, these get kind of good, uh, one for Houston, uh, duet ruse. Uh, he's a, um, yeah, he, he's got a really good name. He's, um, halfback really kind of a utility back as well, uh, to, to really plus up that back line with uh, that had a bunch of departing players. Uh, Joshua VC VC is uh, out with Columbia. I haven't really checked in with him, but he had like, I think it was three tries and four games or something early on in the, in the pro season. Um, David Busby, another utility back uh, out of Ulster to Seattle. Uh, I think that one's going to be very important. Travis Larson, uh, I think, is one of those Austin Herd slash Austin Elite uh, mm-hmm. expansion draftees. Uh, a lock he's, he's a big player who's going to be a you know really a, physical presence, like six three two eighty five. So his his mother uh, must have their his and him and Josh like their mother must have had a hard time you know. That's messed up. They, they come didn't from good They didn't protect the brothers together for the expansion draft. They let. Yeah, one- I mean, I don't know, man. Like, 
those those two dudes are big. Like, oof. Everyone was, did everyone see the, the Tuolagi brothers photo yes. that was going oh around? Oh, my God. Henry, so, Manu, Manu's a big guy. Like, he looks he's a big guy. Henry is, like, three of Manu. And he doesn't even – he doesn't look fat. He like, does he's not just, at all. He he's just gigantic. Yeah. I've never seen a person that big. I, I showed it to my colleagues at work. I was like, I know nobody here cares about this, but this is the biggest person I've ever seen. <laughs> and then I guess and you have to acknowledge that. You have to acknowledge this big You saw Andre the Giant, but ripped. That's what yeah. it was like. Yeah, yeah. And this was the funny one is Peter Stringer like sends a photo in response to this. I think someone was like t- had the picture and tweeted it out and it wasn't Manu. He's like, man, alive. And then Peter Stringer sends his sends a photo of him and his bro- like four three brothers and his dad and i'm like why are there four peter stringers <laughs> i was like they're not twins but th- they could be quadruplets like they look the exact same the exact same i was thinking about photoshopping a picture of myself to make me the size of henry tulagi and lale malele I think I got that right. Um, for to Austin Heard Rugby, he has been with the Fiji Warriors, which is their A side in the um, not in the America's Pacific Challenge and not Pacific Nations Cup, but there's another sort of A side tournament in for the for the uh, for the Pacific Nations that they also play. Um, he has played with the Fijian Drua in the NRC and with the Fijian Latui. Uh, during their their stint in the World Rapid Rugby World Series thing um, this year, so uh, that that looks like a good one. Uh, I, I I mean he's twenty nine, so I mean that really means he's like eighteen because um, island guys have the crazy genetics that allow them to you know um, be amazing they until forever. they're fifty, you know. Like they, they're just young forever. So uh, he'll probably, he'll, you know, fit right in and be, could be a mainstay forever. Uh, he'll, he'll be really good. Uh, so, and then I, I guess the other news really that was big is uh, Tibbs retired, man. I'm, I'm sad. I thought I, I thought I worked a handshake deal. Yeah, seriously. Uh, I worked a handshake deal that he was going to be back for one more season. Then he announced his retirement. I'm sad. Yeah, um, he, um, I, de- I definitely want to give a big, you know, thank you send off to Peter Tiberio. Um, I was able to interview him uh, before last season uh, for the now defunct Penguin Tundra Rugby. Uh, R.I.P. to that page. But uh, yeah, no, Tibbs definitely a great guy, very thoughtful. Uh, Love the game of rugby, and uh, it's a shame to see him see him go. But you know, he, yeah. he played the game the right way. He got two championships out of it. I want to say Peter Tiberio was my first favorite MLR player. I think. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Same. The game I watched, like when I was decided I was going to try to write about this stuff, was a Seattle Seals game, and I, I can't remember exactly they were playing. It was something like week five of 2018, maybe, but it was a restart, and Tiberio just came out from the kick and smashed the guy with the ball, and I was like, damn, I like this Tiberio kid. And ever since, I've always played the game a great way. I uh, loved watching him, so I'll, I'll miss him. 
was a uh, multi-time All-American at University of Arizona. While at U of A, he was capped with the Eagles Sevens, uh, was a longtime Eagles Sevens player, uh, capped, I think, twice, maybe three times with the U.S. Eagles uh, under Mitchell. And really one of one of my favorite people to like people to watch playing rugby and, and I'm so happy that he got to for him that he got to live the dream for at least a couple of years as a professional rugby player in the United States. Uh, but one of the class gentlemen um, of American rugby really going to be sad. Uh, to not see him in the 11 jersey for the Seawolves. Maybe we can, like, get him out for, like, a Legends yeah. match somewhere. Uh, maybe it's like a Gronk kind of retirement, you know? It's like, you, you know it's going to end at some point. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, again, hats off to uh, Tibbs, and uh, see you out there, man. How about – we need to get Tibbs on the show. Get him on That's the pod. We need to get Tibbs, this is your official invitation to the Earful of Dirt podcast. So, Would love to have you on. You know where to find me. Pretty sure you know where to find Poach. You probably could find Craig. So, um, yeah. Twitter handles right there. Uh, but uh, uh, moving on back to the World Cup, everyone watch Canada versus New Zealand? I watched probably the first 60 minutes of it. I mean, I watched I, like that YouTube highlight video that they put so, out. So I watched Love it. Those, the highlight videos. Definitely so fell asleep. I've been up since three that morning, and it was Definitely like fell asleep. when I had to get dressed. It was my actual job. It was. It was pretty awful. I'll be honest. I the, they, they, they did cover. They did cover. They did they didn't cover. cover the earful. I think the earful of dirt spread was sixty. Yeah, uh, the earful of dirt spread was sixty. Uh, they did not cover that. They covered the bookies, which was. Uh, you know, Canada plus 66 ended up being Canada plus 63. So I guess, you know, if you put the money on that, good for you. You made some cash. Uh, I, I don't know what the – if you bet New Zealand what that paid out to, but it was probably like two cents a dollar. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Um, but, yeah, it was just bad. And and they've got uh, they've got South Africa next. They uh, That game should have been 80 to zero. Um, and the reason why it wasn't is because New Zealand tripped over their shoelaces, like literally. Like all, yeah, all was quite literally. In the last 20 minutes, all they did was just mess up like any time they were within the Canada 22, which was most of that 20 minutes. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, no need you know, why beat a, a dead horse here. I think, you know, we knew it was going to happen coming in, you know, not U.S. certainly is not at the level to challenge New Zealand. Canada is certainly not. Yeah, it's tough luck in the pool draw, and it's not getting any better with South Africa. But you know, when Namibia comes knocking, maybe we'll see a uh, a winnable contest for the uh, Le Rouge. Let's see. I'm trying to see. I, I I know we saw the I saw the Canada I saw the Canada roster on the Rugby World Cup. Uh, Twitter account and trying to see if the U.S. Yeah, the U.S. one is definitely not up, but uh, they play. What comes up? Start everyone, Gary. Go for it. They play. So they've got still confused with Peter Nelson at ten. Um, Andrew Coe, man, long time um, at fifteen. Um, very weird lineup when I think about who is available from MLR that could have been pulled up. Uh, no, Eric Howard. 
in this game against uh, yeah uh, against uh, arguably one of the best North American hookers you know against uh, South Africa. Yeah. Um, but Kyle Bailey is fit for this. Uh, Lucas Rumball, uh, Hubert Biden's man, the old that old war horse. Like <laughs> he's gonna play MLR and he's gonna be. I think he's gonna be thirty eight. He maybe he turns thirty nine. I need to look at. They Let's say the out. beard itself is a year older than the man. So while me being thirty nine, the beard is a solid forty. So okay, so he turns. So he's he's a young thirty seven. He turns thirty eight on January fourth. So he won't be thirty nine. Dang it! If only that would have been great. Um, definitely the oldest person to play against an MLR team was in an exhibition that was Paul Santinelli at forty nine. Um, USA rugby vice chair uh, and president at the time of San Francisco Golden Gate. (laughs) Best part about it is like, it's sort of like he was, he's a D2 player, right? And the best part about it is it's like Craig who quote unquote retired from rugby last year and has had to play. Yes. At least in two matches this year because uh, they needed a prop. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I haven't gone back to my D2 uh, retirement level, but I have uh, had the pleasure of subbing in the D4 side uh, for the second time now. And we lost to a comparable margin as Canada lost to New Zealand this week. uh, In D4? D4? Yeah. Dude, D4, man, social. No, man, like, I, I played D4 dude, developmental nervu, man. Should, we got blown out. You by should play, team. like, it should be about the beer, D4. Well, maybe oh, yeah. not with NYRC's D4. Well, that's D4. the reason we got blown out. Maybe, yeah. maybe not with, be, considering the makeup of NYRC's D4 team, you should probably yeah, have that. them can't drink legally. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of D four teams are drinking teams with rugby problems. Put it that we way. have the uh, we have the you know max prime uh, career ages bracketed with either way too old or just out of high school. That's pretty much who we put out there for D four. Yeah, so I, I'm gonna. I, I wonder if Rassi is going to rest uh, rest any guys uh, for Canada, and even if he does. Yeah. Canada should rest. Unlike USA, where I know we're going to talk about, and I'm going to say to go for it. I think Canada actually should save up everything they can for Namibia, but they're not. I mean, I don't know Kingsley's like ideas yeah, here, but they're they're not saving everything. But part of the problem is, is, I think they get banged up in training a lot, so he's got actually a lot of injuries to deal with. But yeah, yeah, Canada, Canada should save everything they have because. Now, maybe it's going to be a bar fight. Uh, they played better against New Zealand. Uh, if, if we're going to, pre- like, looking at that game, looking ahead, they played better against New Zealand. Like, they played pretty good against South Africa, all things considered. Yeah, the score line was... But, so, yeah, uh, yeah, obviously predicting a loss uh, here for Le Rouge, but uh, against South Africa. But what is your guys' pick? I will say South Africa by 50. I'm going to say South Africa minus 53. Yeah, I, I'm I'm there. I think I'm like I'm in the same ballpark. I think I'm going to do go with Craig. South Africa minus 50 is the earful of dirt line. Um if you can get if you can get that line 
DraftKings is also waiting for your sponsor. I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, but uh, and then now moving into some more in depth like preview, uh, the United States versus Argentina. Um, yeah. So I wonder what they're gonna do. Like I, if I go for it, Gary. You know, the moment is ours. Um, what, what would for Argentina specifically? They have to win this game. Argentina, like they, yeah, they have yeah. to win this game. Why? So they automatically qualify. Yeah. They're going to qualify whether they automatically qualify or not. They had to win this past game against England. This yeah, to, to, to advance, they definitely didn't. Uh, the first automatic qualifiers. Thanks, Lavanini. is going to qualify for the World Cup. So they really need to worry about that playing. They're a quarterfinal-level team. They're going to qualify. This yeah. is like the lowest motivation they could possibly it, have. Listen, man, you don't want to yeah. say that because we, we didn't qualify for the for the FIFA World Cup. And everybody well, was just like – Yeah, so I no, I'm just wondering because they do have – no, it's their last game. Yeah. So – they they have beaten Tonga. They have beaten Tonga. Um, they didn't play their best against Tonga. Um, they played really well against England. With 14 guys on the pitch for 60 minutes, they played like pretty damn well. Uh, they they in that in that half after Lavanini went off. Great. Hey, thank you, Nigel Owens, for for applying the damn law. Thank you. As usual, I have been so God bless vexed. that man on the rugby pitch. I've been so vexed at referees not even attempting to apply the law. And yeah. We call rules in rugby the laws. And so thank you for applying the law. Even if you had gotten it wrong, I would have been happy, but you got it right. Thank you. Um, and Piers Francis, you should definitely not be playing, but just, you know. I know Will Hooley says that, you know, it's all good. But if you look at the pictures, they look exactly the same. Um, Yeah, it it really depends on on what Argentina tries to do. But in the same way that France decided to pull a France against Tonga the other day, um, I think Argentina could. But again, it requires us to play our best. Of course. And if we decide to arrest people a la South Africa 2015, then I will say we have taken a step back. Straight up. I, I say throw the kitchen sink at this. Maybe make a change. And do what you can. Maybe you start to Haas. Uh, I, I, I'd say, I say start to Haas. Straight up. Like rest next two games, you're starting Ruben to Haas at, at nine. Um Probably put uh, Augs on the bench as a utility. Uh, really, like, uh, like if I'm throwing the kitchen sink at this, we got to try a little bit of something else. But that's, I mean, I would put Augsburger on the bench as a utility uh, option and, and go from there. Uh, but most of that lineup from that played against France, I, I want to see out there. Maybe Chance Wengleski if he's ready. Um, I, I think that he is a, a fresher, a fitter, and uh, you know, just better option right now than Ali Khalifi is. Um, I think one of those props, Eric Fry or Ali Khalifi, is is probably going to have to rest based on the way that game was. So, yeah. 
And that's just, that's just the way it is. I think with the younger, uh, cause those are the two oldest props. We, they're, those, they're both like old guys, Eric Fry and Ollie Khalifi. Whereas, uh, Paul Mullen, I think is 29 and, uh, and TD is 26. So they're younger. They can recover better. You know, who cares about the tight heads? Not, not, not really, but they are younger and they can recover better. And that's, that's sort of what they do. That's what they should do. Uh, you know, but the thing is, though, I, I feel like TD started in a champions cup final, like, but, but at the same time though, I feel like front row, front row players, well, yeah, you can develop them, especially like as you say, the tight heads. I feel like getting an intelligent front row player is not exactly a dime a dozen. You know, guys who are able to adapt and you know work opponents at the well, at the World that, Cup level. I, wondered, I think Paul Mullen is one of those guys who knows how to do that. That's where I wondered about like Eric Fry and why we didn't use him enough in the PNC, and then we used Chance every single game, yeah. but then we left him at home. Made no sense to me. Um. But, uh, yeah, I, I think most of that roster stays the same. I would like to see Ruben DeHaas start uh, at scrum half and uh, maybe throw Augsburger on the bench. And that, that's really the only thing that I would change. And is that – with you know, so – and for the fans out there, probably all smart enough to be tracking this, but in case you're not currently aware, the USA played Tonga three days later, which is why this is such an important decision – so when you guys are thinking this lineup, and I agree, I, I think we should go for it. Are you also picturing us putting that same 15 more? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And here's why. And here's why. We have gotten better over the course of the World Cup so far. But it, it clearly, it clearly sh- based on how the Eagles have played, they need to be in a rhythm. And if we are going to put the best halfback pairing I think we have together, they need to play together. Oh, they need to play together for like 60 to 80 minutes. Um, otherwise, you, you know, uh, then they, this team just needs to be in a rhythm. They're going to, they're not going to train for two days and they're just going to do an install day at captain's run because there is no time. There's really no time. As long as there's no injuries, that's the only problem like injuries. Cause there's just, they're not going to train because there's just no time to train. So they're going to do light work light field work to install the game plan and, you know, and a captain's run. So, yeah. I mean, if we're down by 10 to Argentina, I they either to tell AJ McGinty, make no tackles or get him out. But I say, you know, zero, zero opening kickoff. I want to get right. Argentina's on three days rest now. Right. So yeah. There's so a I mean, motivation just came off a brutal, contest against England where they you know they had to play down a man the whole time more or less or half the time and they also had an emotional setback here with France almost losing to Tonga which would have kept the door open for a possible quarterfinal berth for them if France had lost uh, so I think all the circumstances of Argentina are in the right place to give the U.S. their best shot at an upset um, so I think you know and we have a you know, pretty good rest here we have a full week so I think uh, I think the time is right for us to take that shot. Yeah, I the the thing I said in the my match recap, which I did share with with Craig uh, after the England game, it's, it's that it's not so much that they need to beat Tonga. We need we need to get that win, but we also need to be credible in this World Cup because that will show actual progress. We weren't credible against England, although the scoreline um actually kind of flatters us a little bit. 
So um, do you do you think credibility is one win or nothing? Like you know, like like that's the floor. No, no. I, I think if we get embarrassed against Argentina because we decided to sit people, and we do win barely against Tonga, that is also a step back. Mm. I think winning. Tonga's winning the, very well this World Cup. I think winning the game and playing well against Argentina is the move forward that everyone wants to see. For you guys, does the France loss check the credibility box? I mean, we're, no. we're say credible no. at contest. No, because it, it says that they can do it for one out of three games and not three. It, because it, it, if, you, if you can't do it for three games, then how can you say, hey, we deserve more tier one tests? I mean, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a positive sign. I, I saw yeah. our performance in the first half, particularly against France, as a positive. But like Aaron said, I wouldn't say exactly checked the box, but I would say we're, we're, we're 50% of the way there. Now yeah, we well, need we, to, now we we need to back the it up. Marker, put it that we, way. To we need to back it up with the next two games. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we I think we did. I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think we did actually check the credibility box. I mean, it wasn't a great, strong check, but I think we met the minimum requirement. I think if you're not – on England or New Zealand or you know, a team that has a good chance to win this entire World Cup, you're anything below that, um, you can't assume you're going to beat us. I, I think that's what we proved against France that we didn't prove against England. So to me, that means, you know, we've that that contest check the credibility box. We, if we ruin it by getting destroyed by Argentina, then people say, maybe that was a fluke. And I think we might have to reconsider that. But if we play as well or better than we did against France, I think, uh, I would call it crumble. So if you're if you're saying in the so far in the in the so far, have we checked the credibility box? I would agree. But uh, but I say we're we're fifty percent there, and we need to. I need to see more pay dirt. We need uh, to finish. So far, more tries. It, it, yeah, the, the, there's only been one try for the USA Eagles in this tournament, and it, and it was a little garbage time. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, so, I, yeah no, I, I, I want more action in the end goal. I think we're there, uh, but. We still have stuff to prove. That's that's the opinion, um, and it's going to be tough. It, it looks like just like the the Eagles, Tonga has been getting fitter. Uh, they've been playing better. So the question is, you know, they've lost three on the trot. We may have lost three on the trot when we face them. I don't know. I'm hoping that's not the case, but they will be out there to win a game, and so will we. So it's going to be all about executing and actually make drawing penalties from them. Because one thing I know about Tonga is that they play undisciplined as hell. So if we can force them to concede penalties, we'll be in a good place. I, it just occurs to me, we're not going to, uh, before our next pod, Tonga so this is the last time we'll be on here before the Tonga match uh, and the Argentina match. Well, I mean, that, then we'll be able to wrap up the World Cup mm-hmm. and, and give the people what they want, which is MLRs. So does that mean we're we need to be a our... really punk pod or really dour pod? Yeah. So yeah. We, we need we need to make our make make our um, our score line for the Tonga game then as well. Um. All right. What is I'm gonna go in the sports book right now. <laughs> there's, not, there's not even a line for it yet. I saw the uh, the Argentina line I saw at our future sponsor, DraftKings, was uh, 21 and a half 
Argentina's yeah, but the, but the the EOD line is the important line here, guys. Yeah. Let's uh, talk about some silly Las I, Vegas I sports. I, it, I think I said it. I think I said it earlier in the season. Uh, I would say before, during the PN, after the PNC, I would. I think I said USA by ten. I'm gonna say plausible. We skip with we didn't do predictions for oh, no, we're, uh, Argentina. Yeah, we do so, our, our Argentina. Well, I know what I know what the DraftKings line is. Uh, I was gonna say USA by ten. That's a ballsy prediction. No, <laughs> like, no, I will. Argentina minus fifteen is the line I would pick. Ah, okay. I'm gonna say Argentina minus three. Minus three. Minus He's three. back in the boys. What? He's back in the boys. I like it. I thought I was gonna be bold with like a minus ten, but now you guys completely undercut me. So I'm going to take the safe route. I'm going to say Argentina by 20. Okay. Okay. Um, and now to the one we're picking blind, uh, USA versus Tonga. And I guess we're going to pick Namibia blind. Is that – are we going to be back for that? I don't know. Yeah, I think um, I think that sun, next Sunday I think is the last day of pool play. Okay. So uh, I guess we'll pick, them, pick all of them blind. Uh, so USA versus Tonga, I'm – I'm gonna stick by USA minus ten. See if I pay for that. I'm gonna go uh, USA minus eight. I'm gonna say it's a little in between. God, when did I become the pessimist? I'm gonna go USA minus three. All right, all right. Um, so Canada versus Namibia. I'm taking the our northern neighbors. Give me uh, <sighs> give me Canada minus eight. Give me Canada Canada minus ten. Wow, man, you guys, you guys have some so much confidence in Kingsley Jones. I don't understand. Why? Uh, Namibia, I'm going to maybe a minus five. I think that's fair. All right, all we right. will find out. Um, so, guys, uh, great show as per usual. Um, if you want to yell at us, you can find us at Earful of Dirt and the other um, Twitter handles. I'm at the Strobro. You've got Liam Poach at Poacher Rugby, and Craig Gardelli at American RFC. Uh, that's Earful of Dirt for this week. Um, also, and- we are always looking for sponsors. Feel free to message the Earful of Dirt page on Facebook or Twitter if interested. Yeah, so. Um, on me. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> on our way out, please note that all opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or practices of Major League Rugby, its teams, or the league. Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. Liam Poach is employed by the New England Free Jacks. Their opinions are their own. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts throughout the week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Or email your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week. Until then, get out there and enjoy some rugby.